0: Hi, it's Dave. Welcome. Today, I'm joined by Ross Gerber, the co-founder and CEO of Gerber Kawasaki Investment Management. He runs a ETF that's traded on the New York Stock Exchange under GK. And um, yeah, I'm glad and honored to have Ross on the show. How are you doing, Ross?
1: Good. How are you, Dave?
0: Yeah, yeah. I noticed the last time we talked to my channel was actually almost exactly one year ago. Yeah, it um, was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's been uh, lots of stuff has happened in 2021 for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah just curious, how, how have you been? How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. We had a great year again. Yeah. You know, I'm super excited with all the challenges our society has faced over the last two years that I feel like we're getting through this. And mm-hmm. our society has a lot of issues, but I feel like these challenges are what almost needs to happen to make a better world. So I'm hoping that this will ultimately lead to a better world over the next couple of years. Or so. Awesome. so I'm feeling, I'm feeling positive.
0: Great, great. Yeah, I've got some really uh, pressing, urgent topics to talk about. I want to talk right. about market outlook for 2022. I want to go over some of your top stock picks, um, talk about Tesla, Bitcoin crypto a bit. But first, um, so Elon just tweeted this controversial tweet about it a day or so ago. He says that right. he thinks his gut feeling is there will be a recession in the spring or summer of 2022 but no later than, you know, 20 end of 2023 I'm guessing. So, right. um, it's a pretty, you know, pessimistic view. What's your take on the market? Do you think there's actually a recession risk for next year at all?
1: Um well, of course there is uh, under certain circumstances, especially if the Fed comes into play in an aggressive manner in the middle of next year, I think Elon's 100% right. So, it's all predicated on interest rates because the way our economy works today, it's 100% based off basically free money. And so if the government starts charging for money any reasonable amount, all markets, real estate and stocks will adjust to this. With that, you lose that sort of euphoric, positive momentum that you get from rising markets and, and rising real estate. And then you get a recession because we don't see a ton of stimulus coming from the government over the next year So so. If, if anything, tightening monetary conditions are most likely to produce a recession. And I think that's where Elon's coming from, I have a different view because I actually think the Fed will not be raising rates aggressively next year because of the weakness that Elon's talking about. So I actually have a little bit more faith that the Fed is really actually really concerned about keeping the economy strong versus worrying about inflation.
0: Got it. Um, okay, so let's 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 unpack this a bit. So we've got inflation, you know, right. I mean, it's just skyrocketing, right? The last CPI API index was like six point eight percent or so. Right. Um do you see inflation uh, just radically lowering next year? And is this the reason why you think the Fed won't increase interest rates, or do you see interest or inflation still strong but then the Fed just kind of not able to do it because the economy isn't as strong? Like, what's your take? Why won't the Fed increase rates when we have inflation?
1: So inflation is a byproduct of a growing economy normally. So when you look at America over the last 10 years, we basically grew at 2% with 2% or lower inflation, but basically zero inflation, zero to one. So that type of economy doesn't, it produces wealth inequality. Because you have a good enough economy that the good do good, but not a good enough economy that the not so wealthy people can make a lot more money. When Trump came into power, he changed that dynamic by cutting taxes dramatically. And by doing that, he spurred economic growth. There's no question. And those tax cuts are still in our economy today, spurring economic growth. So I think as we move forward, it's super important that we continue to focus on growth, which causes inflation. So inflation is wages going up for the average American. But that's not a negative inflation because then they have more money to spend. Negative inflation is supply chain, for example. So supply chain is a byproduct of the pandemic and the big extremes we've seen from no demand to enormous demand You know, in the opening and the closing of our economy, which has never happened in American history. So that's why I think the demand blip is already behind us from Christmas. We're already seeing supply chains smoothing out because a lot of it is just inefficiency. You know, if you go to a port, and you see how it's run. You'd laugh, you know, compared to you know, high tech business today. And then secondly, the real cost increases were around transportation through energy and number two, through labor shortages. And labor shortages are really easy to solve through immigration because there's plenty of people who want to come to America sitting at our borders right now from Afghanistan. I I think there's 100,000 people with visas just waiting to get into America so we can easily solve labor if we wanted to. And energy prices are easily solvable and the prices have already gone down. But we've been getting gouged by the big oil for a year now. And it's about time the government steps in and starts playing hardball with the oil players because they're just gouging Americans to pay off their debts. And that's what's going on here with inflation. So if oil prices come down and we let more people into this country in six months to a year, inflation's gone.
0: Huh. Okay. So you think, um, I mean, do you think that will happen? I mean, I mean, immigration is tough no. to change, though. I mean, no, I don't be, think you know it's saying?
1: Saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. No. So I, I, I think we're going to go through this period of time for the whole next year with elevated inflation rates compared to what we consider normal in a more abound economy, but is actually quite normal in a good economy, like two to 3% inflation is actually really good. And that's where I think we're going to get to. And Mm. rates will have to go up at some point to adjust to this. But I just don't think it makes a lot of sense to worry about that next year. Plus, it's an election year, which causes a lot of uncertainty.
0: Mm-hmm, got it, um so you said something um I was watching actually your meet Kevin interview. I'll link it yeah. in the video description below that you did yesterday um You said that if the Fed does a third uh interest rate hike next year, then you're done you're you're pulling out of the market for for a year. I mean, are you serious about that or is that yeah. just like yeah
1: yeah like i'm I'm just too old to fall for the same mistakes that I've made in the past, and one of the biggest mistakes you can make is not looking at history and the history is really simple. And it's like a hundred percent of bear markets are because of the Fed. So the best case scenario is 94 where they raise just enough to slow the economy and then the economy takes off again. The worst case scenario, of course, my gardener has to come here and I start leap blowing, you know, it's like,
0: actually, I can't, I can't even hear it. So just continue.
1: Um, so So, yeah, so the best case scenario would be like 94, where the economy slows down and rates go up and then they just do it perfectly. That was like Greenspan's miracle. And it led to a great boom. I don't know if this Fed is good enough to do that. So I suspect the Fed rather err towards being not aggressive than being too aggressive. But if they're too aggressive and they raise three times next year, I don't think the market can support a higher rate than 1% on the short term. And so all will sit out the readjustment to lower P.E. ratios. So you get higher earnings, but you get a lower P.E. ratio when rates go up. And so what you get is a market that goes nowhere. And that's m- most likely the scenario we'll see next year where we don't make a lot of money in stocks unless you're a good stock picker. Um, it won't be a bad year, I don't think, because I think things will end up being very accommodated. So I think the perception that we're going to see. A uh, more hawkish Fed next year is incorrect. I think that they'll be pretty dovish.
0: I see, got it. Um, I mean, you were also mentioning um, that you think you're, we're going to see compressing P over E right. multiples in the next couple of years. Um, yeah, if the Fed is not hawkish, is still supportive of the markets, um, do you still see kind of the PE multiples coming down and compressing? Yeah
1: because I still think tighter monetary policy is the general theme that we'll see over the next five years, three years. PE ratios right now like, are over 20 in, on past four quarters, but let's say 20 for the next four quarters, which is very high for the markets, and that's mm-hmm. really predicated on zero rates. And that's what I'm saying. A normal PE ratio for the markets forward, PE should be about 18 to 18.5 in our valuations. And so like, if the market corrected 10%, we would be in the right spot. That's the way I look at it. So if earnings beat our estimates, next year could be a great year. So I don't want to mm. say there's no possibility of that. I think there's a good possibility that earnings beats our estimates next year because margins continue to expand. But I also think it's all predicated on monetary policy, honestly. It, it just is. That's the way markets are. And we've we've lived on zero interest rates for a decade now. and And I don't think we can live without it.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so let's imagine kind of a tightening monetary uh, policy situation next year. Um, let's say POV multiples do come down a bit. Um, we, were, we already have these high-growth stocks that have been hit like 50%, 70% um, or so. Do you think those stocks can get hit more in, the, in this type of environment?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Kathy, Wood better watch out because I love Kathy, but valuations are valuations. Mm -hmm. so i run a business and let's say your business takes in a million dollars of revenue and makes a hundred thousand dollars of profit what i pay for that business is based off my perception of its future okay and that perception of its future is still based around a hundred thousand dollars of profit and what i pay for that perception of the future can vary wildly based off my opinion of its future we've gotten into a world where 20 times sales is some sort of appropriate valuation metric when it's not, okay? Like in the real world, when you buy a real business, like a, that $100,000 profit business or that million dollar revenue business, we say the multiples should be three to five, three to six times revenue for, for just round numbers. A really good business that's growing like crazy, maybe you pay 10 times revenue. So if you look at your stocks and you're paying more than 10 times revenue for a stock, it better be the best thing like ever, because the valuations are absurd. It's just absurdly high, and so if you look at stocks like, you know, Zoom, which I like, and I love the, the business, but the valuation makes no sense for where they are right now. N- Nvidia is a much better company, and it has a much lower PE. So, you know, our top holdings like Tesla, Nvidia, and Microsoft are growth companies with amazing earnings growth. But yeah. much more reasonable valuations than Zoom and Teladoc, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean Teladoc, yeah, I mean they're not making much, but I mean Zoom, these their earnings seem to be pretty yeah. decent, you know. I, I mean, like Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. Okay, so in a per- compressing period no, if Zoom
1: goes down, you know, like if Zoom went <laughs> <laughs> down thirty, forty yeah. percent, it would be an amazing buy. But yeah, you
0: know, I mean Zoom is starting to look like a decent, um, I, yeah, yeah. A, a buy, you know, even right now. We'll see. Um, in a compressing POV environment, what stocks do you think do well? Um, yeah, what are you looking at?
1: Well, there's two areas of the market that tend to do well in these periods that, that really are my least favorite times because they're not my favorite areas in the market. The first is financials. You know, I mean, financials are always winners in rising interstates environments. We don't own big banks because of the ethical issues we have with JP Morgan and Wells Fargo and such. We own Silicon Valley Bank, which is a very unique bank up in uh, Northern California that's almost like a venture capital bank. Um, but financials do very well, regional financials. So we're looking in those areas to try to find any bank that I can morally live with. Um, financials are really a great hedge in this environment. And then, secondly, is healthcare actually. Healthcare is not interest rate sensitive. I mean, obviously, the demand for healthcare is unbelievable, the hospitals are filled. The need for drugs, therapies, monoclonal antibodies, emergency rooms, doctors, nurses, technology, healthcare is one of the. I just continually think like we are so underinvested. It reminds me of nine eleven and the defense industry, and we put trillions into defense post nine eleven. And I think the same is going to happen with healthcare. So I think. We just added Abbott Labs to our, our ETF and part portfolios. We have a strong position in testing and, and vaccines and, and and sequencing and genetics. Um, so we're very bullish on healthcare going into next mm-hmm. year.
0: Got it. Well, um, what do you think about, let's say, like a Tesla stock? How kind of vulnerable or um, influenced do you think Tesla will be by a tightening monetary environment. Do you think there are some risks in 2022 for, for a stock like Tesla?
1: Well, I'm very happy to say that Tesla doesn't need to borrow money anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that makes it better for them that they're actually paying down debt. So so higher interest rates doesn't hurt Tesla as far as, as, a, as a business. Um, mm-hmm. I think the perception of the stock price, that's where you have the risk. It trades at, let's say, 100 times next year's earnings, you know, maybe 110 times but it's growing earnings at over 100%. So Tesla can easily take a hit because of interest rates, but Tesla is an execution story. It's its own story irrelevant to the market. Te- Tesla has so much going on as a business compared to any other company I own that it's all about execution risk. So we've got two gigafactories that are supposed to open and a Cybertruck and a Semi they're supposed mm-hmm. to do and a new Model Y line, and you got demand off the charts for their vehicles. So like getting a new Model Y line up is like crucially important. Um, So I think the first half of Tesla's 22 is going to be really hard for them, as it always is. You're scaling gigas and you're scaling production lines at the same time, and two of them. So, you know, Elon, it's never good enough to do one at a time. Let's do two gigafactories. Elon just will take any challenge on. It's insane. But that's why I love him. And I think he succeeds second half of 22. We look at Tesla probably launching a few Cybertrucks out the door, new Model Y lines, open factories, scaling productions in Europe and in Austin. The Austin operation I'm so bullish on, I can't even tell you. Like, Fremont is so inefficient. And to rebuild a new attempt at this, and this is what Tesla's been talking about, is efficiency. And what they're building in Austin and Berlin is even better than China. So, and China's been killing it, you know, like, the factory in China is doing so well. And thank you, Chinese people, for your amazing effort at Tesla. You know, they've done such a good job in China. You know, okay. the quality yeah. of the vehicles is great. The, the amount of production and the speed. So okay. I'm super bullish on Tesla 22, 23. You know, the only issue is execution risk, which they always have. And they will have bumps in the road. Just expect it. That's yeah. Elon. And the thing I care and worry about the most is Elon's health. Okay. We're both 50. I work out a lot more than Elon. I'm in much better shape than Elon. And I took a change in my mentality a year ago of like, Mm -hmm. I have to think sustainably to myself. It's not just about work. I want to do this for another 25 years healthily and not, and the stress that he goes through is a thousand times my stress. So Mm -hmm. that's the thing we worry about. I was a big investor in Apple for a long time. I never thought anything would ever happen to Steve Jobs, you know? So I just, you know, hope. He hears this yeah, <laughs> take yeah. care of yourself elon please buddy you're doing a great work our society needs you there are very few innovators like elon that have ever existed and so you know we got to care for them we don't need another howard hughes you know
0: yeah definitely um hey so for your gk uh, fund your etf um i noticed that tesla is your top position yeah but What you've got about is it eight percent of your fund in tesla yeah. um do you have any restrictions on why it's only eight percent why You know, can you make it higher or what have you done? No,
1: I I have restrictions that I've used as an investor, which is I try not to have any position over 10%. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And that's also the way diversified funds are sort of required to have. I don't have to be a diversified fund. I could just change my perspectives and be all in on Tesla. But there's a reason. As much as I'm bullish on Tesla, I've been managing money my whole life. The way we manage money is not for maximum return, like Kathy. So the way Kathy looks at money is like maximum innovation, maximum return. I'm going to get you 40% a year if you buy my fund today. That's what she's saying. Okay. That scares me. You know, like that's an absurd five-year return potential that nobody's ever done in history, really, unless they've been super lucky. And like when you look at long-term track records, 20% a year is an amazing long-term track record that almost nobody has had. I would love to achieve that. that's what i'm trying to do but what we try to do is try to do it smoothly that's the challenge Mm -hmm. so we have to maintain diversification to do it smoothly now tesla as much as i love the stock i owned it at seven dollars it's a thousand okay i hate to tell you this but it'll grow and it'll be an amazing position over the next decade for sure and i don't even know how much it'll grow but it'll beat the markets for sure but i have to find the next thing and what tesla did was they started the advancement of sustainable transportation. So what I'm spending most of my time today is finding the other investments. Maybe it's not going to be a Tesla, but they could still do amazingly well because the valuations are so low, like in a stock like Polestar, which has all the potential to be a great EV company. Now, once again, nothing's going to be Tesla because it's Elon, but Polestar is a company we've started investing in because they actually can make and deliver great EV vehicles. And we, we think this... EV business is just going to explode over the next decade. So, who are the next players? Lucid Ribbon haven't put a car out yet. So, they got the valuations, but they haven't gotten the production. Polestar doesn't have the valuations, $20 billion company, but they're getting cars out the door. So, I like Polestar. I like battery producers. You know, I was reading about this company called Northbolt. Northbolt is a private company in Sweden that is the best battery up and coming company out there. Like I wish I could buy stock in it. Bally Gifford owns part of it. It's a private company, and I I can't get in um, because I'm a public shareholder. But this Mm -hmm. company is going to do amazing. So battery technology all across Asia, there's opportunities in these areas. Can can you you buy
0: like a a stock like like C A T L like on the Hong Kong exchange or something? Well, no.
1: See, like we can't buy those stocks easily. Um, so we had to do it through a fund, LIT, which is the mm. lithium and battery technology fund from Global X, which is in my fund. You know, I hate having to own a fund in my fund, but it was the only way to get exposure to CATL. And mm. uh, it has Panasonic and it has uh, SK Innovation. Um, there's a little Tesla in there. And then they've got like a bunch of lithium producers like Albemarle and stuff. So like lit is a it's been a great performer for us. But like when you think about extrapolate out returns, the next real wave are all the suppliers to the, mm. the EV transportation opportunity. So Tesla's is a core holding at, at 8%. It's a really big waiting for us, but it's also played out a lot, you know? So the future is still very bright, but I like to find the 10, $15 stocks that become hundred dollars stocks. It's hard to buy the thousand dollar stock and yeah. get it to go to 10,000.
0: Yeah, you yeah, know? Um, like what, what, kind of companies like, okay. Do you have any company or let's say one or two companies that you think can do a possible 10 X, let's say in five years or so. Um, you mentioned pole stars at 20 billion. Can they I can, I have
1: them more at three to five X. Yeah. Three yeah. To five yeah. x. Polestar okay. is like a three to five X in three to five years, which is okay. a, a really good return for us. Mm-hmm. You know, like we have to make like 10 X returns are like the a plus, you know, like yeah. if I can get a 10 batter, I'm like super happy. So like where, where are companies that are reasonably valued that have enormous potential growth? You know, yeah. and that's always in a few sectors. Technology being our number one sector, I think climate is an opportunity. There's so many companies that will do 10x in climate, whether it's in uh, infrastructure, batteries, somewhere. So that's where we're spending a ton of time. Um, I think healthcare, as I said before, um, with Corona, biotech advancements and the need to advance our healthcare. I think there'll be some huge winners in, in uh, genomic research, healthcare. Um, I think chips, the demand for chips continues to be off the charts. I think there's winners in here and and innovation here with technology, you know, chips and servers and such. So NVIDIA is our second position. Yeah. Um, NVIDIA, I still think it could do another three to five X pretty quickly. Um, under I certain mean, circumstances in
0: biotech is there any company that sticks out that you're most interested in
1: well see the problem is i'm not a biotech guy so mm-hmm. that's the problem i'm a tech guy yeah. so when i look at biotech i'm not i don't have an advantage like i do with technology yeah. um so i've stuck with the winners that i have always like uh, tmo which is like a top holding in our fund thermo fisher just wins you know um we have our best bet for real return is fulgent genetics Fulgen is a testing company and it's a, a ridiculously cheap testing company. Um, it trades at some absurd multiple because everybody thought Corona was going to go away, but it's not. And then they have a traditional genomic tech testing business, which is growing like crazy. So they're making like fortunes off Corona and then reinvesting it into genet- genetics. But the valuation is just wrong on this company. Fulgen is a great play that I think I can make really good returns on. And then Moderna. You know like everybody looks at Moderna as just a vaccine play and they're missing that the the people at this company are genius like Elon Musk type geniuses and there's a great book that I'm reading right now just started about the people who founded Moderna and you know by Isaacson who's now writing the book on Elon so it gives you an idea if Isaacson's writing a book about you you're probably pretty smart you know yeah. like and so I think Moderna is absurdly cheap for its long-term potential. And I don't think vaccines are going away anytime soon. And I think the rest of the world will need many more vaccines as we get through this corona over the next few to five years. So so that's where we've stuck with is bigger players. So I'm not as much as picking the, the real small player that may hit or miss. That's not my Got thing. It. Um,
0: how about uh, Neo or Xpeng, these Chinese automakers? What are your thoughts on their
1: potential? So I think their potential is large, so I don't want to discount it, but part of the, way I make money is through my relationships and knowing more than other people through my relationships. And my relationships in China are nothing like my relationships in Fremont. You know, I can drive up to Fremont and, you know, go talk to people in five hours. And China isn't as open to my style of research, which is very prodding. Okay. So if I went to NEO and they opened the doors to me like Tesla does. I would ask all the hard questions to them and I would expect answers and I don't think I would be welcome. Okay. So I'm sure these are maybe good investments, but I can't do the due diligence the way Mm. I do them. And if I can't, I can't put, you know, I'm a $2.3 billion firm now. So any investment I make that's going to matter starts at like 20 million, you know? And so like, if I'm going to put $20 million into a company, but I can't get a CEO to meet with me and really talk about the company, but I can go to Polestar and talk to the CEO. They they like couldn't have been more open. I talked to everybody, like mm-hmm. everybody, everybody. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm gonna invest a few million in Polestar and see how it goes because I talk to everybody, and I love the people involved. So if Neo, if I, if, you know, if they'll open the doors, let me ask all the questions. I'm happy to look at the stock more. But right now, China's a very closed environment, and they're very, very threatened by people like me who ask lots of very difficult questions.
0: All right. So I want to talk about uh, cannabis for a quick sec. So who's, what's your top cannabis pick? Is there any one company that you think that might stick out?
1: Right now, the one I like the most is Green Thumb you know, Green Thumb and Ben, who, Ben Kovlar, who runs it, the guy is, is solid. They've got a great business. Um, he's just, he's kind of a winner. You know, he, he comes from the alcohol roots, you know, his family was part of the Jim Beam family. And he, he just, he's built a really solid business and the valuation's very good. Um, the other company that's a little bit has more issues is Terrasend, which I'm I really like Tarasen and Jason Wild who runs that company is very good. They bought Gage Cannabis in Michigan, which is a great company, and they're going to dominate the Michigan market. But they've picked really great markets to be in. Um, so I think those two are, are my sort of favorite picks in, in that space. But we're well diversified among all the MSOs right now. Mm,
0: got it. Okay, cool. And then uh, Bitcoin and crypto. So yeah, if we have a tightening monetary environment over the next, let's say, year, um, And let's say Bitcoin and crypto are kind of, you know, they're sensitive uh, investing instruments, right? Um, Right. What do you think? What's your prospects for crypto in 2022?
1: So one of the reasons Bitcoin is successful is because of inflation and because if you put your money in a bank, the bank won't pay you interest and won't loan you the money to buy a house. So why what's the utility of a bank or holding cash there's negative utility because you're losing a lot of money so it's much makes much more sense to own bitcoin but if the government reverses this pays people interest you know starts lending money for reasonable rates and like all of a sudden inflation comes down maybe the dollar has more value and i don't want to take risk in a risk asset like Bitcoin is really a risk asset. You know, people buy it when they're feeling bullish and they sell it when they're scared. Yeah. And so there's there's that. So the Fed raising rates and tighter monetary policy is not good for Bitcoin. But there's a bigger macro trend that supersedes all of that with digital assets. And that's why we're in it. The macro trend is so big and it's so it reminds me very much of Tesla. Years ago, when nobody was buying EVs, there were no EVs to buy, and Tesla was making the S, and now the 3 was coming out. That kind of reminds me where Bitcoin is. So adoption from the public of Bitcoin is still like 99.9% of people don't have Bitcoin. But every day, we have deposits coming in. From digital assets or cash that people want to convert to digital assets at my firm. And we've built a, a very safe way for people to buy Bitcoin who don't have tech experience. See, most Bitcoin adapters are people who who get tech, you know, and they can download Square and they can buy Bitcoin or download Coinbase or and and that's young people. But when you're talking about a 55-year-old client who wants to buy some Bitcoin. They're scared to put 100 grand into Coinbase and buy it. So we've created a program for it. But what we've seen is almost 100% of clients want to diversify into it. And when there is an ETF eventually, when the market makers start trading Bitcoin, because that's why there's no ETF, because Citadel can't make money on it yet. So when Citadel starts trading Bitcoin, and then there'll be market makers that trade Bitcoin, and then there's an ETF and the public can shoot it like an asset class like gold. I mean, Bitcoin could easily double. So so that's our premise, that digital assets are the future. The modern banking system is an antiquated piece of crap. And J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo are not the future. When you mm-hmm. think out 10 years from now, and, and in my fund, Square, PayPal, and Coinbase are the future. That is banking mm-hmm. of the future. And J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, uh, Chase, and Citigroup are the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed um... – you're bullish, it seems like, on Coinbase, but your fund, I yeah. mean, you only have, like, a little less than 2% in Coinbase. Right, is there a certain right. reason?
1: Well, we've been accumulating Coinbase, and it's mm-hmm. been extremely volatile, so I tend to buy it on the days it gets hammered. Um, so, So Coinbase is my favorite play in that space more than Square, even though I like Square and it's a little bit more solid of a company. It's bigger. So I'm super bullish on Coinbase. So, so the issue is it's very hard to quantify what their numbers are going to be you know, over the yeah. next 12 months. I still think the stock's cheap. So when Coinbase gets beat up a little bit, I buy it. Um, Fintech's been hammered at the end of the year here, and it's yeah. caused a little bit of underperformance for me. But, but we haven't changed our position in Fintech. We, we'll probably be adding to it in Q1.
0: Got it. And then okay. I noticed um, you've tweeted about uh, being bullish on roadblocks. Yeah. Um, in your fund, though, you're only about 1.4%. 1. Yeah, um, one5 added, to yeah, it, yeah, so what's going on? Um, are, how bullish are you? Are you looking to increase that position?
1: Yeah, so, so when we accumulate stocks, we don't do it all in one day. And there's a lot of reasons for that. We dollar-cost average into positions, so we can try to take advantage of volatility. So when I build a new position, I'll take a a small initial position and then like in Roblox's case, it dropped down at 100 the other day. So I bought a little more. So we like to buy the dips basically. So I never make an absolute decision where I'm just going to add a 2% position, 2% today, switch all this money around. I don't do that. I tend to move out of position slowly and into position slowly and build them. And it also helps confirm my thesis is you know i would rather build a rising position actually so if it's a little rocky for a little bit of time that's fine with me because we're accumulating shares and so maybe we learn more about the premise we see more sometimes we're wrong and if the stock's going against us then we can exit without losing too much money you know like with beach bodies this year we were wrong about and we were able to exit because we didn't really buy a lot and then we just it didn't work and we got out we didn't lose much you move on you know yeah. And also So another, robots I am building that position.
0: Yeah, another advantage of just slowly building positions you learn as you build, you know. As yeah, you grow. A- absolutely. Yeah, and you can you you it just you you're more motivated also, you know, to to do your due diligence. Um well so and, top- and
1: like you might like an idea and want to own it, but you're not ready to put like the full yeah. boat into it. So it's like I wanna own this, but I wanna own it and work, you know, and yeah, learn. Sure. So you're absolutely right.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. so for GK or ETF, your top holdings are uh, Tesla at 8%. You have Nvidia at about 5.3%. Um, Microsoft is at 4.6%. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, they're a monster. They're just like they're, killing they're it. They're doing it's,
1: so well, man. Yeah.
0: It's like, um,
1: you know, it was new management that started mm-hmm. this. You know, yeah. Nadella is a genius. But so Microsoft and gaming, which is sort of why I love Microsoft because, you know, Windows and Teams and these are, It's kind of like Google where there are established businesses that make tons of money, but they don't excite me that much. But then you go to gaming and you look at what Xbox business is doing. And then you look at assets like Minecraft, which are just like gold mines, you know, and then you look at the metaverse and you start. Now there's this term for gaming called the metaverse, which makes it sound more legitimate than being a gamer. But that's what it is. It's we're building this connection between the digital world and the physical world. And many of us live in both of those worlds. And I game a lot and I love gaming. And so it's like as technology shifts, we've seen this like we discussed Zoom, where we were able to bridge my physical business now with the digital world and we're busy as ever and we're more efficient as ever because of this. And I think this is what's happening in the real world in many businesses, the bridging of technology or the using or adaption of technology because of coronavirus. I have this new thing I've been talking about, about how coronavirus is one of the best things that's happened for business. And people are like, what? It was like, well, think about all the companies that didn't adapt technology. It was like Y2K. This is like Y2K again, where everybody had to upgrade everything because they thought their computers were gonna die. You know? And now with corona, everybody had to adapt technology or they're not gonna survive. You know? So this has been you know, a hugely positive thing for tech innovation and adoption, and yeah. so that—that's sort of my thing. Whether it's fintech or Roblox or Microsoft, yeah. they are like the linchpin of this, just like Apple.
0: Yeah, yeah, and uh, with their Azure, you know, web services too. Microsoft is just
1: yeah, and then they've it. got LinkedIn and they got the whole like that's business true. and yeah. hiring business and and the, and Teams—they've integrated really well you know, Mm -hmm. they had tough competition with Zoom and Salesforce. So at my company, we use Microsoft, but we don't use Teams. We use Salesforce and -hmm. and Slack is integrated. And then we use Zoom, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when you start thinking about your systems, you've got Microsoft, Apple, right? You've got Google, you've got Zoom. And that's, I think, the argument for Zoom, because I think that's a permanent sort of part of the business ecosystem. And Salesforce, which is like We've implemented a super complex version of Salesforce in my company, and it's amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing, you know? Yeah. So, you know, we try to be as high-tech as possible with using these things, and, and I'm very bullish on their futures.
0: Got it. Um, so a few more of your top positions. Number uh, four is Lit, L-I-T, which is the lithium right. ETF you mentioned. We talked about that. Number yeah. five is Apple. Number yeah. We just mentioned that. Um, number six is Lenar and L-E-N. Yeah, HomeBuilder. Uh, the home builders And... Number seven is Home Depot. Home Depot. Um, yeah, I mean, there's such a shortage of, of housing. Homes. Yeah, and these right? builders just have so much demand everywhere. It's unbelievable. Any, any, any house they build, you have like lines of people waiting. Okay. You know? So you're in Austin. Yeah. The
1: hottest real estate market in the country. Yeah. Okay. It's crazy what's happening there. Yeah. Because you also have room to build in Austin like you don't in LA. And so mm-hmm. like, Builders like Lenar are going into places like Austin, and the biggest challenge is getting land now and then supply chain, right? Yeah. And labor. And yeah. they're building houses. And they literally closed the sales offices oh. because yeah. they don't need them. People will just buy the houses. They don't need salespeople. Okay. Yeah. So they've like cut their costs on sales. And then what happens is they're not even putting the houses for sale early because the longer they hold the house, the more profit they. So when the house is done, they put it up and they sell it. And, and what's crazy about it is we're still not building enough houses in 21 to meet the demand for houses in 21. Yeah. So home builders need to ramp up, but they can't because the supply chain and people have changed their lives forever. And Austin is a perfect example of this where I think behavior is permanently changed. Nobody like I was in New York City and I was like, why would anybody live here? It's literally the worst place in the world. And, and I love New York and I love New York. But to live, to live in Manhattan makes no sense. The whole purpose of it was because you were by Wall Street and the whole thing and everybody was there. And now they're all in Miami and Austin and, and Bahamas or whatever, Puerto Rico. You know, I'm hearing people go, let's go to Puerto Rico. Let's go to Puerto Rico. I'm looking at this. I'm going, this is attractive. You know, Now, I'm in Southern California on the beach, so it's real hard to get me to go anywhere. But when you think about housing in California, there are none. I've been looking for a house yeah. for five years. When you think about housing in Austin, there are houses to buy, but you will run into no houses probably by the middle of next year. And yeah. so you just want to build houses. You want to be Home Depot. So here I have all this technology and climate stuff in my portfolio, and then I have this big real estate section. And that's what makes us different than a lot of other funds, because I actually work with a lot of people in real estate. So I know the business pretty well, actually. And boy, is it a good time?
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah,
1: Not all real estate. I don't want to own offices. I don't want to own malls. I own logistics centers and I own residential construction. You know,
0: interesting. Um, last question. Um, do you have a Tesla FSD beta? Yeah, I do. Okay. How long have you had it for?
1: um i think two months three months
0: months. what's your experience been like i mean Ah. it's been positive do you think they'll reach so-called level four next year or is it kind of farther out
1: so i got full self-driving i'm 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 famous for having the lowest safety score of all full self-driving beta testers i have a 37 score i (laughs) am no seriously there's literally articles about this i am the lowest ranked fsc beta driver in america so and my wife who just walked in enjoys bringing up that her score is two and a half times my score. Um, But she has a hard time accepting that I am one of the finest drivers in America because I'm able to drive the the hardest drive in the Mm. world, the fastest. And so, so Elon gave me full self-driving, I think, just Mm. because my drive is so difficult that if there are so many variables and so many things happen on my drive to work, that if my car can drive to work, they'll have solved full self-driving beta. Now, to this day, I still can't get up the street because there's <laughs> so much crap, just the construction crap. But yeah. when I started with full self-driving beta, I was kind of disappointed. I had to intervene every second almost. It was like my drive is so hard, it's so dangerous, that I was like, I'd like literally, it's like almost dangerous using it because like I basically was still driving, you know? So I was like, oh, it's gonna take a long time. And then a couple of weeks go by and an update comes, and I was like, wow, that's noticeably better. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks come by, another update comes. Wow, that's noticeably better. Another couple of weeks now, I get 10.8. 10, 10.8 10, rolls around and the car is like, I'm feeling pretty confident making these moves now. And now I'm getting halfway there. You know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't do the hard part. The first part of my drive is impossible. And then the second part of my drive is easier. Mm-hmm. But it's getting through the second part now. And things that, it wasn't able to do just a month ago. It's doing, and now it's doing confidently. It's such a trip. Mm-hmm. The car learns. It really learns, and it learns faster than I thought. And in a, in a meaningfully noticeable way, almost weekly. So I became very bullish on it in the last couple weeks mm-hmm. because all of a sudden, The car had more confidence. It was making turns better. It was doing things that were more difficult very easily. And I was like, if this pace continues in a year, we're going to still be sitting in the car. But it'll be like how autopilot is today where I get on the freeway. I have 100% confidence in autopilot on the freeway, but I don't with full self-drive. So I have to really pay attention to it. But I think in a year, I'll be able to just sit back and put on full self-driving and monitor the driving, but it will drive in LA. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to do it. Mm -hmm. I think he's a genius. I think it's the most (laughs) consequential software that will save more lives than anything I have seen in software history. Windows didn't save any lives. So maybe the airplane autopilot would be as consequential because we used to have accidents all the time before you know remember plane accidents mm-hmm. so imagine yeah. a day where we can say remember car accidents
0: yeah yeah definitely um ross it's been fun chatting with you on the last day of the year of the year yeah yeah happy um, new year yeah yeah have a great 2022 wish you all the best um yeah i'll go ahead and link to your twitter um profile in the video description your fund information any other places people can find you
1: yeah. Gerberkawasaki.com. And we're also, we're financial okay. advisors. We're an RIA. So we also help people manage their finances and their financial situation. So if you have any questions about your financial situation, feel free to reach out through Gerberkawasaki.com. And you can learn about my fund at advisorshares.com slash GK. So uh, okay. that's where you can find me and on Twitter, which okay. I'm on a lot.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Nothing we shared was f- uh, financial or investment advice because obviously you're not, we're not, um, no, so actually, everything
1: I shared was, and I'm actually a financial advisor, okay, so, 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 so all the flavors are on my Twitter. Yeah, yeah, okay.
0: yeah, yeah, okay, so um, follow that. Anyways, um, yeah, wish you guys all the best for those who are watching, and um, we'll see you all next year. All right, see ya.